Good evening, and welcome to the Cabinet of Fever Dreams. Tonight, a tale of betrayal, aristocracy, and forbidden knowledge. I Will Burn the World was originally released September of 2020 and is read by Oscar Brophy with musical backing by Mew. The following story is a chapter of the Machine Universe. Episodes can be consumed in any order, but if you'd like to learn more about the man who wanted to burn the world, make sure to check out last week's episode, and next week's episode, and the one after that, and the one after that. The Cabinet of Fever Dreams has new episodes coming out every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. With that out of the way, get comfy, ignore that burning smell, and imagine you're lying in a hospital bed. They crowd around me, some of the brightest men and women that humanity has to offer. They could be out in the world curing cancer, but instead they have chosen to stay on retainer. Mr. Vernazik, you are awake. One of them says, yes, awake. Consciousness drifts into my hospital bed along with another sensation, pain. Every inch of my skin feels like it's home to a smoldering fire. Sitting up causes the flames to roar. Please, Mr. Werner Zeig, in your current state you shouldn't- Bite your tongue, wench. I say, feeling my once mighty voice slumber in a choked whisper. Be careful how you speak to me. She remembers her place and bows her head in shame, as do all of the other doctors. I am surrounded with medical equipment that far exceeds the stature of the room. From the window, I see a glimpse of a snowy backwater town. The nature calendar on the wall reads January 18th, 2004. I don't know where I am. I don't remember the past five months of my life. Where is Albert? I demand. As if on cue, the old man appears in the doorway. His suit is prim and proper, but the usual stoic expression on his face is betrayed by joy. Sire. You are awake. Thank the heavens. It comes back to me in flashes. The heartbreak, the whiskey, the axe, the gasoline, and then the explosion of light. Call the car. I want to go home. I say. Certainly. The butler replies. He nods to one of my doctors, promptly turning him into a secretary. Do you know where you are, sire? Memories of crawling through the dark wood simmer in the back of my skull. They feel like the fever dreams of a starving animal, but I know they are mine. Yes, I say. My lips are scabbed pieces of flesh. I get up to walk to the mirror across the room. Sire, the medical team was dispatched as soon as this yokel hospital alerted the estate, but the damage from your accident has been extensive. Very little could be saved. However, over the past months, the team has been hard at work, fast-tracking research into synthetic skin. Perhaps you would like to try the latest prototype before you look into the mirror. The butler almost steps in my way, but he knows better. I continue making my way towards the impending reflection. I want to see what I have done. I see the extent of the damage. I have paid many times for my tendency for intoxicated outbursts of heartbreak throughout my life, but I have never paid a price so steep. Bring me the skin, I say. 
The metal box in which they present the poreless mask of flesh to me hisses with cool steam. The synthetics are like a calming balm to my burning skin. But when I look into the mirror, I see a grotesque charade. I want to go home, I say. In the car, he tells me the fire was extinguished soon enough to spare the house, that the businesses have been running smoothly, that the media have been largely kept out of the picture. I scarcely pay attention. My mind is far too occupied with the accident. My mind is far too occupied with the flames. A single question burns in my mind. Was the fire an error of drunken sentimentality? Or not an error at all? Sire, if I may, I do not want to intrude on your personal life. However... The butler clears his throat and shifts uncomfortably in his seat. When my daughter went through her divorce, I saw firsthand how heartbreak can haunt a person. If you require anyone to speak to, I... I assure you that... You are intruding. I say, catching a glimpse of myself in the car mirror, I look away. Alphonse Wernerzeig elevated his crest from that of an irrelevant noble family to a titan of industry, while other branches of European royalty struggled to keep their grip on power in the century of the ballot box, Alphonse refrained from using his wealth for political sway, and instead invested it into the future of humanity. He invested it into the machines. By the turn of the 20th century, the Wernerzeig family owned a share of every factory in Central Europe. After the wars and after some heavy investment into the Americas, we owned everything. My granduncle built an empire. My granduncle also wrote about fire. Before the old man disappeared from the face of the earth, he locked himself in his mountain manor and wrote a dizzying amount of text about the nature of flames. His early work read like a simple inquiry about the nature of the element. But as the journals stack, as his handwriting grows more manic, as his words swell numerous enough to fill a library, the appearance of interest betrays its true nature as a burning obsession. Alphonse Wernerzeich was haunted by fire. He wrote of it not as an invention of humanity, but as a portal to a world beyond our comprehension. Our primitive ancestors had simply stumbled upon this chaotic doorway and built civilization in the warmth of its flames. But beyond that crackling energy, beyond that stifling heat, there was something else, something that demanded entry into our realm. My granduncle saw its burning eyes in a Manchurian stepfire in 1938. I saw those same orbs of blue blaze on the night of my accident. I walk through the library. The books I have thrown to the floor in my fit of delirium are cleared away. The bookshelves that I have accidentally kindling have been replaced. The help has repaired the room to its former glory. Only one memory of the accident remains. My granduncle's journal is still on the study opened at its final pages, just as I left it. My thick, pale fingers feel foreign against the pages, my eyelids scratch across my new face, but I read every word of that final journal. It is after reading those blurry pages in a drunken stupor that I decided my granduncle was a fool. It is after reading those pages that I decided I would burn the world. Yet as I sit here with only pain and a single glass of scotch dulling my senses, those words appear empty. Whilst my granduncle committed an entire library to studying the nature of fire, to suggesting and eventually demanding that something lives deep within it, the final journal talks of the creature within the flames as something that should be ignored. 
He denies those blue balls of light. He drowns his words in sentimentality. He writes that each time that the beast within the fire appears, it is a great tragedy for all of humanity. He speaks of the times that the beast was extinguished out of our realm as a time of triumph of human will, as something that must be celebrated with the utmost zeal. In my drunkenness, I saw the words of his final journal as pure blasphemy, but in my soberness, they simply confused me. If he saw what I saw the night of my accident, if he too looked into those azure eyes of raw power, he could not have written such foolish lies. I studied a handwriting, clean and sharp. When I first inherited the Mountain Manor, I found the butler trying to dispose of the schematics. He had hidden them in one of my granduncle's coats that was set to be burnt. When I found them, he protested. He insisted that my granduncle must have simply misplaced the documents and forgotten about it. But I knew that he acted with malice. He wanted those schematics destroyed. If my wife had not pleaded with me to keep the old man in my employment, he would have been long gone. I take the schematics out of their display cabinet and spread them out across the study. The madly sketched maw of the metal machine stares back at me. Next to it are the scribbled descriptions of each segment of the contraption, detailed instructions on how much pressure and heat should be funneled through each individual pipe. The text is heavy on the page. Yet even though the blocks of words linger like sensor bars trying to mask the true horror of the machine, the handwriting is rough and uneven. At the bottom of the document is an address, scratched out in big black letters, the Bohemian Plot. I look back at the final journal entries. My granduncle was no fool. I send the butler to make inquiries about the land my family owns in Bohemia, and retire to my bedchamber. My doubts about the journal slowly start turning into certainties, but as I enter the cold room I find myself unable to light my fireplace. What if my granduncle was truly mad? What if my accident was truly a result of drunken heartbreak? What if I have simply gone momentarily insane? Lighting the fire would illuminate those questions, but I do not want answers. I want sleep. Even with sheets of the softer silk, my body still sings as I curl my way into the land of dream. She stands in the library, beautiful as the day I met her. Peter, please. She says. Sit. Do not tell me what to do, I reply. The rawness has gone from my throat. I sound like myself. I feel powerful. That power quickly drains. Please, Peter, sit. I love you. I find myself sitting. She has hurt me. She has betrayed my trust, yet each moment that I spend in a gentle grip of her eyes sends an unearthly calm throughout my body. She smiles, weakly, and takes a seat opposite me. I have been unfaithful, Peter, and for that I apologize. I reach for the rage deep in the pit of my stomach, but I cannot find it. This woman has sullied my honor, betrayed me in most cutting of ways, yet I cannot help but love her. I'll never do it again. I'll forever be true. I promise. And with that, all restraint leaves my body. I love you, Mary. Let's forget all about this and live happily ever after. Yes, Peter. Yes. A thousand times yes. Let's leave the past behind and bathe in the light of our love. Her soft hands reach across the table and grab mine. The future stretches out in front of us. I can see joy. I can see the children. I can see us growing old together. As if she was a conductor of bliss, I feel a wave of happiness flow from her palms to the rest of my being. For the first time in my life, I feel fully content. But then, that connection is severed. My wife gets up from her chair and walks across the library floor. Her hips sway with hypnotic energy. 
For a second, I tried to convince myself that she is simply walking around the table to be closer to me, but soon her true destination becomes undeniable. In the corner of the room stands the brute. His body is bare, his muscles pulse with strength. My wife wraps her arms around him and the two embrace. Mary, I yell, sensing a weakness in my voice that makes me loathe myself. How could you? She frees her lips of his and looks back at me in shock. Peter, I have been unfaithful, and for that, I apologize, she says, still in his arms. I'll never do it again. I'll forever be true, I promise. The two embrace again. The brute's hands start unlatching my wife's dress. I want to beg them to stop. I want to believe her lies, but instead, I turn away. I feel raw power crackling in my hands. I'm holding a burning torch. The fire roars, demanding to be spread. Behind me, my wife starts to make love to the brute against one of our bookshelves. Their cries of passion are loud, but soon the spreading fire drowns them out. Soon they are screaming. Soon they are dead. I stand in the midst of the burning library, watching all of my granduncle's writing feed a powerful force beyond my comprehension. The curtain of flames closes in around me, thickening its consistency with each written word that it consumes. My skin breaks out in boils, sweat sizzles on my smouldering clothes. A cry of pain scratches through my burning throat. When my body finally erupts in flames, I see it. A burning beak, those shining claws, the two infernal balls of blue light. Release me, the god says in the voice that shakes the universe. Release me and taste my power. Even past the smell of singed flesh that has been lingering in my nose since the accident, I can still feel the gentle burnt notes of freshly brewed coffee. On my bedside table there is a silver platter with breakfast. Beneath my plate there is a carefully written note. Sign. I have made inquiries about the Bohemian plot. The land is currently under your ownership. I would, however, note that the plot of land is deep underground, and is located beneath a busy transport hub. Perhaps I can draw up a list of property that would be more appropriate for construction. I study the note, but become distracted. My left eyelid refuses to cooperate with the rest of my body. I attempt to hold it up, but as I read, my numb fingers lack the dexterity to do so. I become frustrated. The handwriting on the note is clean and sharp. Any doubts that I had the night before turn to ash. After lighting the fireplace, I summon the butler under the pretense of cleaning up the broken plates of my breakfast. The silk bathrobe I put on feels raw against my burnt body, but I no longer feel like an imposter. I am resolute in both my character and decisions. The metal object in the robe's pocket feels lighter than it is. Sire, uh, you rang? I have compiled a list of- The butler goes silent as soon as he sees me. Sire, your face- A glint of discomfort flashes over the old man's brow as he glances at the torn suit of synthetic flesh that I have thrown on the floor, but he quickly regains his composure. Shall I have the medical team? No, I say. My fingers caress the chamber of the revolver in my pocket. The cold steel feels good against my burning skin. The butler is getting nervous. I have compiled a, a list of other potential properties that you could consider for a construction project, he says. And then, as if it had just occurred to him, he takes out a crumpled envelope. 
There is also a letter that has arrived this morning. It's from your ex-wife, sire. I take my hand out of my bathrobe and inspect the letter. It is not dated. It seems older than recent. I read it regardless. In it, I find words of regret. Mary is sorry for what happened. She is heartbroken about my accident. She wishes that she could turn back time and make different decisions. She hopes that I will one day forgive her. The handwriting of the letter is clean and sharp. I throw it in the fire. Did you write this, Albert? I ask as the flame sees the paper. No, sire. It was written by your ex-wife. My hand travels back into the pocket of the bathrobe. Who wrote Alphonse Wernerzak's final journal? He opens his mouth, but doesn't answer. His knees grow weak. He starts to shake. Sire, could I take a seat? I let the old man sit opposite to me. The fireplace rages on. He sighs. Your granduncle was a genius, sire. His sense for industry, his inquisitive mind, they were unmatched, but... His voice falls. A tear starts to travel down his cheek. His obsession with the fire. The plans for the machine. I could not idly stand by and let the man burn the world. Please, sire, consider the implications. Consider the suffering. Consider the... Silence. I say... That's all I have to say. The butler has been with the family for long enough to know what is coming. Can I speak to my daughter one last time? Can I at least say goodbye? My clawed fingers tighten over the handle of the revolver. No. I say. Once his body is cleared away, I summon his replacement. The new butler is much less resistant to my demands, possibly because he knows how his predecessor ended up. He calls our representative in the Czech Republic to investigate the state of the Bohemian plot. He organizes a corps of engineers to oversee the project. He starts to make inquiries about the covert transportation of steel. The machine will take an astronomic amount of man-hours to construct. Thousands of workers will be needed, mountains of steel will have to be delivered, countless bribes will have to be paid, but eventually my granduncle's work will be completed. The machine will create a fire hotter than the strongest flame that humanity has ever felt. And when it does, the burning god will purify our realm. Soon, the world will burn. And I will be the one to light the spark. The Cabinet of Fever Dreams is written and produced by Mike Jesus Langer and is brought to you by patrons such as Moo, Serafina L, Lucky J. Horton, Alan Rawl, Kus, Bob Condor, Chicken Mixer, and Daniel Wengel. If you'd like to join these fine people and support the show and get early access to episodes along with a bunch of bonus content, drop by patreon.com slash Mike J. Langer. And so concludes this episode of The Cabinet of Fever Dreams. Make sure to drop by next episode for another tale from the Machine series.